Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is February the 19th of 2020. I am Nick, here with Chris to talk about manga and other things that we just feel like talking about. That is the way the show works. Yeah. Uh, for example, Nick, I need to tell you about a movie that I just watched. Okay. Um, did you hear at all about the Clint Eastwood movie, The Mule, that came out two years ago? Yes. A little bit. I no, not a lot, but I, I specifically live for movies and media that will make you say, "What the fuck is happening? Why did someone make this? Holy shit!" The entire way through, and okay. in that way, the Mule was the best movie I have seen in the past like three years because it is a absolute clusterfuck of a movie from beginning to end uh the entire premise is that uh 90 year old clint eastwood he, he's 90 in the movie he's only like 88 probably oh, actually so, filmed the movie. so different <laughs> i don't know how they made they decided they could pick whatever age they wanted for him they made him 90 in the movie but he looks so much older than 90 <laughs> Uh, and it, it, I don't know why I'm seeing some shots. He looks like he was burned. Like, (laughs) like, you know how old, like when you get really old, sometimes people kind of start to like curl in on themselves, almost kind of like, like they start turning into like a baby again, where like their body starts pulling towards the center of gravity. Uh, he has that going for him and knowing all that decided he was like, I'm going to make a vanity project movie. Everyone's going to call me cool and think about how cool I am at all times. I need my Poochie movie, basically. Uh, because that's all this movie is. It's it's a collection of people who who think and talk about how cool Clint Eastwood is, particularly uh, minorities and lesbians. Oh, no. Um, I'm not really... There's, there's a lot of very odd scenes, uh, but everyone, uh, after one scene with him, will learn to respect him. So uh, every... Every person who would be an antagonist in the movie will meet him and be like, hey, man, I don't like the way you're doing things. Like, I'm part of the Mexican cartel because it's it's a Mexican cartel. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. right. Like, I don't like the way you're doing things. We're following things. My my book there is a and it'll just be like. Don't think so. And then the next time. <laughs> why, does, why is Clint Eastwood played by Randy Savage? Don't think so. And then. Oh, Hulk Hogan, you think that you can make me run your drugs your way, but we're going to run them my way. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing. He doesn't have that much force in him. So it's just something like, I don't think so there, mister. And then the next scene you'll see. So maybe more, the, maybe the, more Bret Hart than Randy Savage. Yeah, the car, the cartel member has now uh, learned to respect him. They've learned the errors in the ways. So while that's the first scene, the second scene is always like, "Oh, it's Grandpa! Grandpa's back! How's it going, man? How's your family doing? Let's barbecue again sometime! Only vato!" And you're just like, so it's basically like, "Hey, man, what makes you think you can do your things your way? We're gonna do them your way. We're gonna do them my way. No, we're gonna do them my way." Clint Eastwood has two separate threesomes in this movie, Nick. Oh! He has two separate threesomes. There's a scene where a woman in a bikini is dancing and she has a gigantic ass, and Clint Eastwood has to like grab onto her butt for a scene and kind of dance with it. And I think 
the 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 pelvic gyrations of her butt was too much and it knocks him off balance and he kind of falls backwards and then the scene just cuts to something else and then half of the way through the movie they were like and it should be about a movie about a guy who lost his career because of growing advances of technology and had to turn to crime because he had no other way he could think to make money Right, uh, right. But instead, it's just a movie about how cool this guy is once it becomes a drug mule and almost starts to become a buddy movie where he starts to be like, hey, I know you're like my enforcer sent by the cartel to make sure I'm doing my jobs correctly. But have you ever thought what you want out of life? Like, what are, what are you really getting out of this? Are you really living life to the fullest? I'm like, I don't understand what this movie is anymore. <laughs> Does it, is it the DEA ch- chasing after you? <laughs> So what you're saying is that the that the guy's played by Noho Hang from Barry. <laughs> it it really you have to understand what this, an absolute mess of a movie it is. Listen, it's, buddy, I know that I'm having you run across the border to get my drugs and stuff, but is that really fulfilling for you? I'm very concerned about this. <laughs> It'd be different if it was like a joke or right. an angle. It's just there's weird scenes where Clint Eastwood has these two guys like sit down at like a roast beef sandwich place and all the white people are staring at them and they're like Yo, everyone's staring at us. He's like, well, that's just because you're two brown spots in a big white soup. <laughs> Have you ever thought about what you want to do after all of this? <laughs> He's like, you guys need to loosen up. You're taking things so seriously. Like, we're illegally drug smuggling drugs. <laughs> this isn't a party. I don't know. Um, so. <laughs> so 10 guys, out of 10 look- movie. Watch it the first chance you get. Guys, watch out for Weekly Mugger Recap's upcoming review of Clint Eastwood's The Mule. And <laughs> you've sold me a little too hard in this movie, Chris. Like <laughs> it's so it's so good. There's so many moments that just as you watch it, you're like, someone had to agree to just be like, yeah, I guess I'll be the lesbian bike gang member who's like, you're pretty cool too, old man. <laughs> All right, Chris. We have a recommendation we're talking about this week. Mm, this is a series. No, we don't. Yes, yes, we do. Oh, well, uh-oh. Uh, it, I thought it, I could just, like, hand wave it just, away. You just use your psychic powers yeah. to make me forget. Oh, transition straight into talking about Mob Psycho 100. So this is a series that um, was available, is rather available online. Um... It was published online originally, I should say, by one, the author of One Punch Man. Now, if you hear me say that and you think, oh, so there's going to be some wacky comedy interspersed with some really cool looking action scenes. No, 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 no. Uh, The original version of One Punch Man, one did just make themselves. But uh, the one that you're familiar with uh, had Yusuke Murata as the artist. And that's why it looks so good. This series does not. You are going to have to get used to a very simplistic art style with very round faces and round eyes and everyone having the same face, but different hairstyles, which is fine if you're okay with, you know, that. I personally found the art style to be very distracting at certain points, but that said, it's still the same writing. So if you like One Punch Man sense of humor, there's going to be a lot of different moments of that. Uh, combined with a lot of navel gazing, 
which uh, is where the series sometimes tends to lose me. I've heard a lot of good things about the anime adaptation of this series. Uh, after I read it, I went and watched a few clips. It looks really good, honestly. Uh, it made me wish that we had watched the anime instead of reading the manga. Because <laughs> although there are a lot of good points, and I don't want to say come away from this and say, like, oh, I hate this series, because it didn't really. It's just that there were a lot of points where I just started to completely tune out while reading this. Um, the series is about a kid with psychic powers mm-hmm. named, uh, was it Kobashi? I think it's his real name or Kobayashi. I forget. He's called mob. Um, it's Kageyama, isn't it? Kageyama. Yeah. Kageyama Shigeo. I was going to say, I, I, I literally know two characters names in this entire mm-hmm. series. Uh, and he has psychic powers, but he doesn't really care that he has psychic powers. He is trying to find his way in the world. Uh, there's a girl he's got a crush on that he would like to like him back. Uh, he's trying to find something that he can be passionate about. And meanwhile, of course, there are all these different people for various different reasons who wants to uh, either find someone who's got psychic powers or create uh, gain their own psychic powers. And Mob is far and away the most powerful psychic in the entire world. And he doesn't really care for the most part. And this is a series that contrasts, you know, like trying to gain the ultimate power that kind of shonen thing with going through puberty and just having to grow up and come to grips with the way that, you know, you want to be seen, you want to feel about yourself, you want to be treated by other people uh, and what kind of place you want to have in the world. Those parts of the series tend to be interesting for the most part. Uh, kind of goes on for a while. This is a series that was supposed to be like 100 chapters, but most of the chapters towards the end have like one, you know, like 99-3, 94-7, you know. And it's like and you're trying very hard to have this 100-chapter series not be 100 chapters. <laughs> it's it's conventions because it's Mob Psycho 100. It's got 100 chapters. See, it's, it's... I don't really know where to start in talking about this series beyond that's the premise. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call this a funny series. It's a funny series, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a comedy, uh, because there's so many stretches where they're just, like I said before, navel gazing, uh, in terms of like, you know, what is my psychic power mean? Should I use it? I shouldn't use it, but I have to. I don't want to fight, but I have to. It's a lot of that. I got bored hmm. and I stopped paying attention. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's too much of that. I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I literally am just I'm trying to think of good stuff in this. And there is. Believe me, there is. But so much of it, my reading experience for this was just like, I'm bored now. I want to stop reading. <laughs> it is an excessively wordy manga at times as well where it's not enough like sight gags it's a lot of like dialogue of characters talking and a lot of uh reactions to 
like the the setup expectation kind of punchline sort of deal um and it's okay like honestly those parts are far and away the the worst parts to me is when it's trying to be funny because it just doesn't work for me that's not to say it's bad Mm. it's just I, i don't really get the humor particularly in this series all that much there's like a handful of times where I get like a, a teehee or a giggle out of it, but like we'll be talking later on about MASH and I was like, MASH feels significantly funnier than this series was to me at least. Um, there's a couple moments though where it does play with expectations and its weirdness that does kind of actually, generally when it's not actually used for the joke, it's kind of better because, you know, the series is sort of lives on either subverting the expectations of what a shonen series would do or doing it and then making it very silly and cartoonish like hey let's have a big climactic super battle uh but the villain's head's been shaved bald and he's naked the entire time so he looks kind of stupid and goofy the whole time but it's still really in like a really dramatic fight between these two characters or whatever um so I, I kind of appreciate parts of that. I, I didn't watch any of the, the anime. I didn't really get like an expectation like I should. Uh, reading it, though, I was like, I bet this works a lot better in anime because it does. Th- the big issue I have is that the art style really holds this series back. Um, the moments where things are meant to be really dramatic just don't have the punch to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the moment where even when you're really trying to go for like a big cool moment too, they don't really have the impact they need either. Like the the entire scene where he goes nuts, he he breaks his 100 or gets his 100 rather, I should say, uh, and feels sadness. And he has to like repair his school. Like, it feels like that should have been like a pretty climactic and cool scene, but like the, the, art style can really only do subdued melancholy essentially so there's certain moments where the art just kind of doesn't lend itself particularly well and i think where if you're able to animate it and you're able to add a score to it you can kind of do a lot more along those lines and probably that's why the anime works so much better Mm -hmm. uh and also it's just kind of paced a bit better You know, you don't have it doesn't feel as wordy when people are just explaining what's happening, you know, verbally in the middle of a fight, as opposed to, you know, you have to read the word bubbles around stuff. Um, And also, it's just, you know, you're able to appreciate the style more when it actually looks good, as opposed to, you know, the style is something that one is just capable of drawing because he's not all that great, (laughs) at least for the first half of the series before it gets a little bit better over time. Uh, yeah, you described the big fights, the big, the first big fight scene in the series. And yeah, that was where I was like, Oh, it's just, Oh no, <laughs> it's just not, all that, it's just not very good. Yeah. Um, cause there's all this, you know, there, this character is, you know, focusing all of their energy around themselves and, the, you know, there's like debris strewing around them and stuff. And it's just like, well, you drew some lines there in order to, you know, emphasize there's movement and stuff. But it's one of those things where, like, um, multiple times we have compared uh, the style of Mashal to uh, one's work. Mm-hmm. But 
like you observed last week where uh, there is that big spell that uh, that Wahlberg casts uh, where it's you know, heavily detailed and bizarre. Uh, and then it's like, oh, OK, this is a stylistic choice. It's not based on the artist's limitations. No, no this style is based off of the artist's limitations. And that's fine. You know, yeah. I, it, 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 if you are able to get past that, cool. I'm sure you'll have a much better time uh, reading this than I did. Um, I also feel as though people's like a lot of the characters don't come off as well as they should. I can think of one character in the series. I like literally one, uh, the body improvement president. <laughs> like, um, but mobs boring. Um, his brother is kind of there. Uh, he's got a bunch of allies that are just kind of annoying um, because they're supposed to have, you know, these personality quirks that kind of make them endearing, but they're just annoying. And then there is uh, his master, Raken, who I think is supposed to be a lot more charming than he came off for me. Uh, so, yeah. You know, I I feel like we're coming into this with some pretty low energy, and I don't know I... if that's necessarily meant to be super indicative of the series itself, because a lot of people really enjoy this one. I know. This is a I super think that's popular a... franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Right now, I'm feeling low energy, so I'm not able to add a ton of this. And oh. this is a particularly great week of manga we're about to discuss. Yeah. So I feel like you just don't want to get past this in a, in a week <laughs> where, like, I want to talk about essentially every other series. This one is kind of like, hey, it's it's there, you know. I'm glad you like it. I don't, I don't feel like I need to, but I I'm glad that you do, and I hope you you continue to get great stuff out of it. You mm. know, like that's. I I, re- I I joked to you that I was like, can't I just do a shrug emoji as a review of this? I really. <laughs> It's just there. Like I don't, I don't, ha- I don't think that's anything good or bad to this. Like understand, I also don't read One Punch Man anymore. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that this guy's storytelling grabs me for more than like an instant kind of thing. And that had Murata's artwork to kind of pull you mm-hmm. in a lot longer for me. I feel after reading this series the same way I felt after I watched uh, Into the Spider Verse, which was I see why you like it. And that's great that you like it. But man, Kingpin sucks in that movie. And I don't like that movie <laughs> very much. There's a lot of great parts. of. I feel that Into the Spider-Verse is much better than I felt that this series was. But it did not get me really like the, the same way that it got a lot of people. Uh, and there are a lot of people that uh, Mob Psycho 100 gets. And it, it did not get me. And I do think... A significant part of that is just a matter of like, well, more people are familiar with the anime. It's it looks different and it's paced differently than reading the manga. Uh, Maybe if I did watch it, I would say like, oh, yeah, that's a lot better. But there are definitely certain parts of it that would not fix for me, Uh, primarily that I think that the most interesting parts of the series are just some of the insights that it makes uh, on, you know, growing up and, you know, what makes someone important and stuff. Uh, but it does not need to take as long as it does to make some of those points. And the only th- things that I thought were really good were like the first times it made those points. Uh, so for example, 
uh, one of the things that Mob is told early on uh, by Reagan is, uh, look, you know, you've got psychic powers or rather he says we've got psychic powers, but he's lying because he doesn't have psychic powers. Reagan doesn't. I mean, uh, but he tells Mob, like, look, you've got psychic powers, but that doesn't necessarily make you better than anyone else. You know, when you think about it, there are people who are like really good actors. There are people who are really intelligent. There are people who are really physically fit and you've got psychic powers. And yeah, that's your special skill. But that doesn't mean that you are, you know, an incredible, a better person than anyone else. Just as, you know, if you're a really good actor, that doesn't make you a better person than anyone else. And that's, you know, a nice lesson to impart to, you know, a confused kid uh, regarding, you know, like, okay, yeah, you've got this quality that makes you unique. That doesn't mean that you are more or less important than anyone. And yeah, that's good. That's good. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that a lot of characters have to learn through the course of the series, because this is something that plays with that seventh grade syndrome thing of, you know, Oh, well, I'm I'm 12 and I'm confused about where I fit into the world. Uh, but you know what? I, I would be great if I, you know, had, you know, special abilities. And so I was different. I was different from everyone else. And that would make me unique and that would make me special. And that allows them to get past those feelings of confusion and angst uh, that people experience at a certain age. And that's kind of the point of the series of being set primarily in junior high with a lot of characters with psychic powers, uh, is that my mom is the most powerful psychic person in the world, but he still has those feelings of where do I fit in with everything? Why do I have these hormones and this anger and depression and other sorts of things that I've never had to deal with before? So if the series had been more just about that, but kept it tighter I felt that I feel I would have enjoyed the series a lot more. There are parts of it that just kind of play the, there are people with special abilities much straighter that are just there. And because the artwork's not there, it's just not all that good. Uh, the entire thing with like, we've got to fight these people from this organization. And, you know, we've got these different characters to fight them. It's like, yeah, but fight scenes aren't interesting. They don't look good. So, that bugged me. Um, I liked the relationship between Mob and his brother. I like that. Uh, That's actually probably my favorite part of the series is the fact that it's it's generally a very supportive relationship. It's a supportive relationship, but there's also that feeling of tension because uh, Ritsu uh, envies Mob's psychic abilities and wants to have them for himself. Uh But I also really like the idea that each of them is a little bit jealous of what the other has because Ritsu is this, you know, physically fit, intelligent, you know, perfect student and Mob is not. He's just, you know, a regular, mostly below average kid who happens to have extraordinary psychic abilities and each of them want exactly what the other one has and they don't. And that's what they're so they're kind of, you know, strive towards being each other. Uh, and although there is some tension in the beginning because, you know, Ritsu has all that, those feelings of inadequacy, he wants to have those psychic powers. He ends up going down a really dark path in order to obtain them. Uh, there's a conflict between them, but then it 
gets resolved and they spend the rest of the series basically just supporting each other. And it's nice. Um, and then there's, okay. So I'll talk about the funniest moment in the series. So very early on, um, there's these slacker kids who have formed this psychic, uh, studying club where basically they just have a club room and they eat and they put their club budget towards getting snacks so that they can hang out after school and play video games and stuff. Uh, and they're told you don't have enough members to form this club. So you have to get another member. And so they go around trying to find a new member. And of course they end up coming across mob who is actual, has actual psychic powers and they try to convince him to join the club so that their club won't get disbanded. Meanwhile, the, Student council is telling them, like, look, the body improvement club is put in so that they can have, uh, you know, this club room and stuff. They actually do stuff and you guys don't. So, yeah, we just want to disband you so that they can have this. And so it comes down to the last moment. The body improvement club is ready to move in. The psychic studying club is like, no, but we found this guy. And, they're, and the student council is like, well, is he actually signing up with you? And, Mob, and they're like, please, Mob, you've got to do this. Please, you've got to join us so that our club doesn't get disbanded. And Mob looks around and he's like, all right, I'll join. I'll join the body improvement club <laughs> because that's what he wants to do. <laughs> he wants to get physically fit so that he can be more social and stuff. And it turns out that the body improvement club is a group of really friendly guys who, sure, they'll welcome this weird kid with a bowl cut into their group. And even though he's, you know, always passes out when he goes running with them, they're always encouraging him to get better. They tell the psychic club, like, yeah, you guys can stay here and hang out. We just need a place to stow our stuff when we go out jogging. They're friendly to everyone in the coolest possible way. Uh, there's like this bully who they end up kind of taking in and the bully gets uh, Onigawara's his name gets accused of stealing like all the girls recorders and licking them and stuff. And so he goes to the club to hide and the person's like, listen, we know you're innocent. Why don't you stand up for yourself so you don't have to deal with being treated this way? You just, you know, believing him and supporting him. Uh, at the end, towards the end of the series, uh, they need somewhere to hide out. And the person calls up his grandmother and is like, we're going to go go hang out at my grandma's place. There's a room for everyone and we can go out there and work and work out. It's just really nice that there is this example of like, OK, this guy is, you know, basically got it figured out. You know, he's a total muscle head, but he's just nice to people, even though he's stupid. So, yeah, I, I, I liked um, uh, I like Dimple a lot, too. I thought Dimple was a pretty fun character. I also like that Dimple kind of almost gets this Krillin moment where he vanishes away and Bob's like, oh, no. And he's like, did that make you angry enough to use your power? He's like, yeah, really? <laughs> like, it still takes like a bunch of <laughs> other stuff to happen. Yeah, you just because it seems he seemingly gets killed and he's like, ah, is this going to unleash your anger? And there's a running thing throughout the series of, uh, you know, percentages whenever mob has a lot of emotion build up inside of him, he unleashes in this huge burst of psychic power that is associated with, you know, either sadness or anger or some various other things or, and the exact emotion he experiences defines while his psychic powers are utilized. And so you see, uh, this kind of gradually building up in him over the course of the series at different moments, especially early on. Like each chapter will end with a little percentage, you know, mob is that blank percent. And when it hits 100, 
is when he unleashes all of his rage. And so there's a moment where he's fighting this guy and uh, Dimple, who is this spirit uh, that he had exercised, who then proceeds to hang out with him so that he can try and take over a mob's brain. But because he's kind of an asshole. But anyway, um, is hanging out with mob and he tries to defend him from this attack. And then he seemingly gets killed. And you see mobs, you know, anger counter is like 45 percent. Uh, was that guy important to you? Mob's anger counter, 45 percent. Well, it seems he's dead now. How does that make you feel? Mob's anger counter, 45 percent. Uh, you know, she just didn't react to it literally at all. <laughs> but they keep showing flashbacks as though, like, the manga's trying to get you to be like, hey, what Bob, a big sad moment. <laughs> it just didn't have any emotional response to it whatsoever, despite remembering all those things. I, I, I think maybe my favorite joke in the series is, I, I don't remember what Dimple is talking about. But he's saying something to Bob, and Bob has like a text box where he's just like, "What is he saying?" And then he turns, he's like, "Dimple, stop talking to yourself." And he's like, "I'm talking to you." <laughs> he's not even paying attention. To but I like that dismissive attitude of like, "What's this bitch blathering about?" <laughs> hey, stop talking to yourself. You sound crazy, Dimple. <laughs> I guess we have to talk about Reagan a little bit. All right, dude, we, we've been doing 30 minutes. Haven't we? We've covered Mob Psycho, Nick. I guess. <laughs> well, but he's technically the second most important character in the series, kind of. I guess he's supposedly a psychic who sells his services to people. He doesn't actually have any psychic powers, but he just has all these other means of helping people out. Uh, and then he just acts as if what he did was a psychic thing. Like, Oh, yes, you've got an evil spirit, you know, inside your muscles. Let me just psychically massage them so that my psychic chiropractic methods will exercise the spirit. Do you feel better? Yes. Wow. What a great psychic you are. It was, it's that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so. From what I understand. A lot of people like Reagan. And I don't know why. And I actually at one point was like, because I, I just had one of those kind of moments where I had, you know, read the series and then I was like, what the fuck even happened in this? And I had that specifically about his character. And so I, I went and looked up. What did Reagan fucking do? You know, because <laughs> he shows up a, a, a couple of times. He actually has a fight scene uh, once or twice. And so I looked up the the character and I opened up the the uh, Mob Psycho 100 wiki in order to read it. And it says <laughs> under the like top section of like, you know, conception and, and uh, reaction to him outside of the Mob Psycho 100 universe. Reagan is considered a sex symbol because he is handsome and because of his demeanor. I'm like, who the fuck wrote this? <laughs> Did the manga character gain sentience and write it for himself? Because that's what I'd write if I could write a Wikipedia for myself. Like, Christopher Larios is very handsome, very cool. Everyone wants to have sex with him, and they think he's super cool. And the, I read, like, you know, the the personality bio, and it's like, you know, he cares a lot about the people around him. It's like, he's kind of a selfish dick with a heart of gold. He's, you know, that character is like, he exploits Mob throughout the entire series but he does actually care about him. 
it, he's that kind of character. He's not, you know, this kind of upstanding citizen. And you can just tell that it's like, you know, some one very big fan of the character wrote that entire article. And I'm like, well, now I don't have a better idea of what this character's like at all. This was a waste of time. It's just distorted my view of him even more. I didn't like him. Um, I liked some of the gags that were associated with him. I liked a couple of bits of the wisdom they had to impart. And I liked the idea that he's a good mentor for Mob. And Mob sought him out because he's a, he thinks that he's a fellow psychic and he's, you know, got this experience. But he doesn't actually have any psychic powers. Uh, and he's just keeping Mob around to do the actual psychic grunt work. But he does have these insights that can actually help Mob in the way that he needs help. That's a, that's a, I, that's, that's a cool idea and that's a cool dynamic to establish. But I don't get the love for him from people who love him. Uh, but whatever, that's, you know, enjoy the characters you like, I guess. I say, look, people, people are allowed to like this series and love oh, yeah. the characters in it. And we don't have to necessarily get all that, you know. Neither of us seem like we're two people who are super on board with this series and love it. So a lot of the nuances we're probably missing just because it, it didn't really click with us. So as always with this podcast, uh, when we talk about something and you have the opposite feeling, understand that we're not attacking your love for the series or saying it's bad and you should feel bad for enjoying or anything like that. People are or... different and have... Or you're bad for not liking something that we like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people have different opinions. We and... we talk about entirely shonen stuff on this show, so... <laughs> we're very limited and bad like that. Yeah, uh, yeah look, and I, I, I could absolutely recommend Mob Psycho. I, I just think if someone was like, oh, do you think I should read it? I'd be like, I, I think you should watch it, probably. I haven't watched it myself, but I, I considering how popular it is, I feel like watching it is the way like i feel like this series succeeded because it had anime because i mm. can't imagine enough people were able to get over the artwork and everything like that to really like go for it mm -hmm. all right we should move on now because we do have a bunch of regular manga to talk about and there's a lot of exciting stuff to talk about this week um so let's kick off with my hair academia number 261 high ends last time Mirko had seemingly killed Johnny like there's brain goose slapping around that door that she knocked onto him. Um, so that seems to have prevented Ujiko's escape. So she's racing, chasing him down, wrecking up the facility that uh, he's now in. Um, there's an odd moment. I get the part at the beginning here where Ujiko is like, oh, has a flashback. and He's like, oh, good boy, Johnny. Good job. You did a good job. But then there's a bit where, you know. He remembers uh, all for one, you know, complimenting him uh, for his work and thanking him for, you know, what he had done uh, for him. I guess he's reacting that way because Mirko's wrecking the fuck out of his facility. I guess that's what's going on. I would presume I, I, I would you would like to think that right now he thinks he's done for. So it's like life flashing before his eyes kind of deal. Mm -hmm. Uh. Mirko communicates that she has found Uchiko. I like the, the, the detail where she's, you know, going over a communicator so we don't actually hear one part of the conversation. Um, but she, I like how she observes, like, yeah, I don't know if he's the real one, but if I kick him, I should tell you know, if it's him or not. 
we get a lot of, you know, kind of jumping around between different points uh, where all the heroes are acting. Then uh, we see there are, of course, you know, Nomu attacking people. And then there's, we go back to Mirko attacking Uchiko, who is spluttering and crying because, you know, there's a scary hero coming after him. And uh, he says, like, I'm the real one. Don't hurt me. And she's like, well, I better kick you to make sure that you're the real one, you know. But then there's a really odd thing that happens because I don't know exactly what happens in this exact moment. So we get kind of a slow motion sequence where Uchiko is trying to pull a control box out before Mirko can reach him. He starts to go for it and Mirko seems to notice it and kicks his arm. And at the exact moment, she starts to kick him. Suddenly, Johnny is there again and head butts per. I don't know. Uh, it's not... no, it's not. It's not Johnny. It's a different one. It's a different thing like Johnny uh-huh. named Mocha. But it head butts her. No, it, it it doesn't. It it teleports him away. Like it jumps up and starts using its its quirk to get him out of there. That's, that's but, how. I, that's that's what I. Well, oh, wait, maybe observes, not. Never mind. Mirko observes that it has the double quirk, and Ujiko's body, um, comes out of it when it appears before her. But so did she kick his arm? Look, sometimes. You need to actually show me what happens in a visual medium, okay? <laughs> or at least tell me what happened if I can't see it. So, But Ujiko says that what has happened here is that Mocha used their quirk without being told to in order to protect him. As a result of that, it distracts Mirko, I guess, enough that Ujiko is able to activate the controller and that unleashes a bunch of the high ends who immediately go after her. And there's a cool shot from this point with uh, them all rushing her at once. One grabs her by the face. She's kicking the head off of one of them. Uh, cool shot. And of course, a fight breaks out uh, after this point uh, as they're all like, you know, going to go kill some heroes. Uh, another high end comes before another hero. Crust is his name, I guess. Or does he just get called Crust? I don't know. He's a pro hero. I know we've seen him before. I don't care who he is. Uh, <laughs> Ujiko jumps in a chair, in, in, which speeds him off while the high ends start taking care of the heroes. Mirko is facing down four of them herself. Confusing action. So it's actually like moment of confusion aside, I think a super fun chapter and pretty yes. exciting. Like, as we kind of mentioned earlier, like this week has really good series. So even though I'd probably rank this towards like maybe the bottom of the series we read that we're going to talk about this week. Uh, this was a really good chapter still. That's like really exciting and kind of is moving us in a pretty fun direction. I agree. There we go. And this is, you know, I like that it wasn't just a matter of, oh, Uchiko had another thing planned in order to bail him out. It was like, no, he got lucky. 
uh, in order to get away. So, yeah. All right. We're going to talk about actage. All right, cool. I'm going to be back. All right. Bye, Chris. There's a cool color spread at the beginning. Chris. Oh, all right, fine. I'll talk about actage. Uh, so anyway, well, that asshole's gone. So, of course, last time the B team or B cast rather had uh, met up in order to uh, figure out how they're going to have Chioko beat K. Um, K goes to hang out with Anako at her house so that they can, you know, have a discussion about, you know, the shit that went down. Uh, the advice that she gets from, oh gosh, what's his name? Whatever. Actor dude is if she's going to attack Anako to use her bare hands and not a weapon. Good murder advice. No, it's not. I'll still leave evidence. Uh, Kay apologizes for, you know, slapping Hanako. Somehow she's got a bruise from that slap. Girl went after her hard. Uh, Hanako apologizes in turn, or rather starts to, and Kay's like, yeah, well, I mean, that guy barely came home whenever mom was alive, so I figured one day, yeah, some lover of his would show up, but all that she cares about in this moment is the fact that she wasn't able to perform the play to its conclusion. Uh, Hanako um, feels bad about this as well. Kay apologized because she didn't realize that Hanako was feeling very alone. And Hanako goes outside. Kuroyama approaches her uh, and says, you know, I have a pretty idea now about what you did to Yanagi. The fact that the Ox King never shows up in the end is because you really have no expectations of men. Well, not just of men. So which makes the comment that he makes weird. Uh, you expect nothing of anyone, including yourself. So there's really no way for you to interpret anything. In the end, you leave it to the actors. Uh, and then he gets real close to her and says, if you can't finish what you started, don't mess with my actor. So at this point, they're actually treating Hanako like, oh, yeah, she freaking failed and let Kay down. And it'd be nice if more directors were taken to task for the way that they treated her. Well, primarily that first one with the, you know, putting her in the flood. Where's Chris? So. Uh, there's a discussion amongst the B cast. Uh, then uh, outside of the hall, little girl gets separated from her mother. She happens to run into a hooded figure and it's Chiyoko in disguise. And she says, I went to home to shower, so I'm late. So that's a secret. Uh, she goes inside and has a message from Akira, which we get to see later. Chiyoko shows up. Kuriyama scolds her for being late. Uh, and then it's revealed that Chiyoko is wearing the Iron Fan outfit, and she says, let's go win this. And then we see that Chiyoko's message from Akira just says, the star's job is to serve the audience. And that's it. So, hey, Chris is back. What perfect timing. Cool. Are we done talking about Act Age? Basically. Sweet. Uh, I wanted to say that there... Um, I do like I was saying earlier that I was like, OK, it's nice that someone called out a director for treating K badly. Uh, it'd be nice if that happened more often, pretty much. So uh, yeah. I don't really know 
what happened in terms of because there's a couple of points that there's a couple of scenes in this that honestly seem to happen for like no reason but whatever it's, it's okay again i'm glad they're at least taking the joke no chiasa chiasa chioka what's what's chioka is the actress act okay uh chioko i'm glad they're like giving her this whole thing um and giving it this build up and developing her and i i do like uh kayama or fuck there's too many characters called kagayama he can't be what's the director's name kurayama kurayama uh i'm glad he sticks up for k although it's it feels less like sticking up for k and more like Hey, don't fuck up this commodity I've kind of put work into. Yeah. Um, you know, he's actually, you know, protective of that asset. Yes. So I, I, I can enjoy that. Now I actually say it, I don't actually like it because now I really do think that's the tone there is kind of a little icky. Um, I, yeah, actually, I don't no, like the chapter. <laughs> well, this particular re- interaction between them is really weird. Because he's like, oh, yeah, you don't have any expectations of men. But then immediately it jumps to like, well, you don't have any expectations of anyone, including yourself. Which, like, well, then why did you have to say it in, like, the most sexist way possible? It's like, oh, you don't have, you don't think well of men. It's like, is this the thing? Is this the basis of the criticism of the first female director in this series? The fact that she's got, like, hangups about men? No, it's not. But I'm still going to you know, talk down to you. And this is the first time that we've really gone hard on a director in this series. And it happens to be the first female one. And it's like, that's awkward. She's kind of just become this weird thing where there's not. I don't really get what the angle is anymore. I, I'm sure her story is not done yet. But she's that's become this, this artist yeah. who is essentially forcing other people to try to finish her work for mm-hmm. her. And I don't know, it just kind of loses esteem. I guess maybe it's because the other directors felt very simple in their mm-hmm. concept. And this one feels like it's a very complex topic that doesn't get all the time. Mm-hmm. But again, her story is not done. It could stay. It could change. Yeah. I think that the idea is supposed to be because the series has occasionally talked about the relationship between directors and actors. And I think that the idea is supposed to be that the director is supposed to have a vision and it's up to the actor to fulfill that vision. Whereas Hanako had an idea of how to start and she just wanted to see where the performance took itself. And because of that case performance fell apart at the end because there wasn't anything laid out for how things were supposed to go. It was really Hanako just, you know, shaking things and seeing what would come out of it. Whereas Kuroyama and other directors have this idea of how they want things to go. And then they're trying to push things in order to make that happen. Even when you have, you know, the, oh gosh, tick, tock, tick, tock, the director of Death Island. Oh. He had... You were trying to think of his name, Nick. That's not an important enough character to remember his name. You know, he had this thing of like, I specifically want Chiyoko's mask to break. And he pushed the buttons and threw Chiyoko and Kei against each other in order to try and get that. And in the end, he got that as they 
went over in the previous chapter. Chiyoko's mask drops a little and there's a big reaction to it. Uh, and then during the play, you know, the director's like, I'm going to tell you what death is about. And then because of that, he is basically able to live through the performance of the play. They have a solid idea of this is how I want the thing to go. And then Hanako's like, I want to see my imaginary friend again and I need to be taken to a world of imagination and I hate myself a lot. So you fix my problems while I'm supposed to be putting on this play that affects all of you. And I'm going to tell you, I slept with your dad. So maybe the, I think the idea is that she is not in the place where she should be doing this. And that's why Kuriyama hates her because she is affecting someone he cares about. So, yeah. All right, let's talk about Eden Zero, Chapter Eighty Two, Scolding. Didn't see the series taking this kind of no. Time. I really, after last week, was like, can't wait to see how our heroes get out of this one. Well, the answer to that is they don't. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Dragon Joe activated his his over limit or whatever they call it, and then he turns it off because he's kind of done with it. And he's like, "Ooh, do you know how much that girl is worth?" And Shiki's like, she's worth a lot. She's my friend. That's not what I'm talking about. Anyway. <laughs> He's like, well, then wouldn't she be price? You're kind of insinuating there's still sort of a price on her. Listen, she's a woman. And I say something really gross about the other woman in this group. So He's like, oh, friend. Friends are just a social construct fostering fellowship and empathy. That's sort of like time. It's just kind of created by us. It's like, I mean, you're not wrong, I guess. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, Shiki's like, well, my friends will help me move forward. And he punches with all of his gravity. And Jack is just like, that doesn't work on me. <laughs> my, I can turn my body into the hardest mineral known on the planet and just blocks it, basically. And he's like, yeah, I, I did my research on you. You now wield the Satan gravity that the Demon King used. Satan gravity? I what's don't know that? What it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, he says, also, according to Master Noah, you are the key to unlocking, quote, the cat's powers. So, presumably happy, but maybe we'll meet another cat. I don't know. Uh, and then Dracojo just turns Shiki into stone. Uh, Pino tries to use her EMP. Jen blows her away so she can't. And next time we cut over is Shiki and all the other characters uh, in, like, sort of a robot alley prison cell. Well, I'm so, not... So, all the other human characters, yeah. but yeah. Uh, all the other characters. Uh, he has them all handcuffed, and he's like, don't move. And then they move. And he's like, I thought I said don't move. So it's a very tense scene. And... He even says, like, oh, sorry about this, Rebecca. By all rights, you're one of us. But until you're on our side, I'm going to have to treat you like one of them. And Rebecca is like, wait, no, please. Without the medicine, Weiss is going to die. And he's like, huh? Oh, the dying kid? What medicine are you talking about? And they're like, oh, I think it's this case. They open it up to the thing of sister energy. And he's like, smash. <laughs> 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 You want this can? Huh? Huh? <laughs> and then Shiki's like, how dare you? So he gets shot in the leg because he's like, I said stop moving. And uh, the chapter just kind of gets darker from there. It, it really like, does. They're like, wait, we're happy in Pino. And they're like, oh, I sold them to a junk dealer in town. And 
Hamora's like, what are you going to do with us? We weren't even trying to instigate it. It's because you were stalking our ship. And he's like, you know what? You're pretty cute. You know how you work to pay off your debt? Oh, yeah. Um, Becca's just like, please, I'll do whatever you want. Just, like, let them go. I'll do anything. And Dragon Joe's just like, he breaks off the cuffs on Wise, who is essentially unconscious right now. And then he's like, cut his arm off. And the last shot of the chapter is Fi the Fire Gly holding up a giant knife. And the last panel is a bloody arm being severed. <laughs> so, I don't really know what happened this week. We took a dramatically different turn from where I thought we were going. Hey, here up with the characters in a situation where it looks like they're in really big trouble. Good job! <laughs> I'm not crazy high in the chapter because there's parts of Drac and Joe here that do come off very intimidating and scary. And then there are other parts where he's just every fairy tale, like hero villain once more. Like, I know his whole thing is like, I'm not going to kill people because people still have a use. But it's another thing like, oh, I'm going to sell you into sex slavery and I'm going to lick my gun because that's mm-hmm. what I that's how crazy it's... and creepy I am. And. It's definitely well, at odds with the image he had built up when he had the conversation with Rebecca earlier. Yeah. So. so I'm I'm not super crazy on every part of it. And I don't really get where we're going. Because, look, part of me is like, okay, we don't actually see the arm being severed. We see an mm-hmm. arm with a shackle on it going in the air. Maybe something else happens. But then I'm like, maybe they are just cutting Wise's. I mean, he's already his power is to use a big robot suit. So I guess theoretically. Oh, but Chris, if his his arm were severed, then that would have consequences that would definitely not get negated immediately later. Yeah, like it's it's, something where I'm just like, I don't. It's kind of just like a weirdly dark and unpleasant chapter (laughs) in a moment that felt like we were kind of like. Like, things looked bad, but I didn't think they were so hopeless that they couldn't have worked a way out of it or given our heroes time to regroup. Like, it's just kind of an unpleasant chapter to read. It was definitely surprising, if nothing else. Yeah. Uh, Definitely surprising. Let's move on to Guardian of the Witch. I swear, the chapters get better. Not with this one, but after this, the chapters get better this week. Chapter number three, Outside World. Uh, our heroes are outside. Hooray. Manaf says, like, I had no idea the world was this big. And then Nata says, okay, now that we're actually outside safely, I will tell you what I know of how to turn witches back into humans. So she says to Fafner, I know that, you know, you presume that I spend my time as Lady Manaf's maid doing nothing. Well, you are wrong. I have been doing everything I could to find ways to investigate her condition and help her. Are you aware of the secret room in the basement of the rectory? I'm not. (laughs) But basically, she it's a library that's in there. And so she there were many tomes in there, uh, but uh, very there wasn't a whole lot of information related to witches. But in one book, there was a passage that was very intriguing. A retired witch is used as an advisor in noir. So they're like, a retired witch, huh? And so what she concludes is that there are two major possibilities regarding the seed of evil. One is that it just stopped growing completely, so the witch was able to recover. 
or the other is that its growth at least slowed considerably. So if they were to go and speak with the retired witch in noir, then they might be able to find a way to prevent Manafsa's death. Hooray, let's go to noir. Mm-hmm. We cut we back have, to the... I, I, here's something I can definitely say and appreciate. This manga is being very clear and direct with its hero's journey. We have mm-hmm. to get to noir. That's where our goal is. Here's the way we have to get to noir. Here are the likely things we're going to encounter along the way. It makes for a very clean and easy to understand. Journey. And now we'll set up the first opponents mm-hmm. we're going to have to face, basically, uh, who are another guardian witch pair. Guardian Gen and Witch Ruli. Uh, Ruli Lilarala. That must be that must have been a real pain to decide what 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 sounds were R's and what sounds were L's in that one. That's where you flip a coin. I think each yeah. time you're like whatever. And her name will be Ruli Lilarala because it because it, it would just be Ruri Rara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's sort of like uh, Zoro, where like his like his surname, like Runor Zoro. Like I, I thank God it's based on someone actual, so we have some kind of context to go off of. Because otherwise, <laughs> so the two of them are being sent out to recover Manasa and Fafner, or to kill them. And uh, we uh, learned that uh, Ruli's magic is metal manipulation, which uh, she uses in, con- in conjunction with Gen. I believe. Yeah, that's what it is. OK, so they set off. We also get a little bit of insight into, you know, their contrasting personalities. Gen is very much alike, you know, just kind of jumps in before thinking, you know, very confident in his own abilities, pretty arrogant, really is much more thoughtful, thinks more about proper manners and how to behave and stuff. Uh, and again, just like, yeah, we're going to go kill him. All right. And really it's like, oh, well, I mean, hmm. all right. <laughs> so which is them. We see that Fafner killed an evil that uh, had been camouflaged and attacked them. They come across a village and then we get, you know, a shot of this map uh, where we basically learn that the series takes place in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. That is a map of Great Britain. So that means uh, all the cake is talk like this. in this series now. <laughs> we got to get horses to that village there, bit, bit, we do. Just all of them talk that way. <laughs> So then they uh, put on their disguises. Fafner refers to them as costumes, which makes Manafsa think that they're going to be dressed as a sexy nurse and sexy bunny girl. There's a couple of points in the series where there are very weird panel choices, I will say, in terms of like not a lot of emphasis is put on a couple of lines that get spoken. There was that one. And then there was another one. I Either, oh gosh, I can't remember if it comes before or after. Okay, yeah, there's a there's this one small comment that uh, Ruli makes, which is a witch's guardian is asked to do the job because they have a bond of trust with their witch. If someone who doesn't have that bond tries to kill a witch, the shock and stress of it can cause the birth of an extremely powerful evil, so you can't kill her. So this is basically, you know, our, our bonds of friendship will lead to power-ups thing. But it's all crammed in this one small panel. And you would think that with that, that it would be a much bigger thing with like, you know, emphasis placed on it, a lot more attention uh, paid to it, but it's not. But 
Anyway, the princess and the samurai have a symbiotic relationship. We leave one to power it up, and we need to explain this over the course of five more chapters before you get it. So, but anyway, uh, the main trio put on you know hoods and hats and stuff to disguise themselves as just regular travelers before heading to the village. Meanwhile, Gen and Ruli are making their way across the countryside much more quickly because they're using metal magic in order to transport themselves. And uh, they're going after our heroes in order to hunt them down. And that's the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. So it's chapters now. Chris, do you want to keep reading this series? Please, no. No. Okay. I could go either way, so I'm going to uh, go with I, so. I, This is one where I think that I admire everything being done here, and I wish them the best. This just... I... No. <laughs> okay. I really just... Nah. So now... This is either going to be a series that gets forgotten, or it's going to be like no, it's going to run for seventy. It's going to yeah, it's going to run for seven hundred chapters. This is the new big series. I was and the like, longer it goes on, you're gonna the more awkward it's going to be that we didn't pick up Demon Slayer. I mean, Guardian of the Witch. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, let's move on then. Instead, to Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter Four: Mash Van Dead and the Clean Sweep. It's a pun because there are brooms involved. Uh, we oh, see. Shit, I get it. Yeah. We see more silliness uh, from Mash, who is now officially a part of Easton Magic Academy. Of course, there is an instructor who's telling them like, oh, yes, you must imagine you are opening the lock as you infuse it with your magic energy. Now you try. And of course, Mash rips the padlock apart. And he's like, I opened the lock. <laughs> Of course, he gets shouted at and uh, the professor says, you, you, this is a place to learn magic. You know that, right? Yes, but I'm not good with magic and spells. Well, why are you here? I love his response. He's like, you're right. This is concerning. <laughs> I shouldn't be here. Look, this series would not work unless MASH was so perfectly aware of the fact that he absolutely should not be here that he's like this premise i do not want to be a part Look, of i have no i choice. just want to stay at home in peace <laughs> i just don't want my dad to be killed basically uh, then there's a really really weird moment because a student uh who's sitting next to mash reacts to him is like oh my god this guy's bad news and then mash just goes god is dead <laughs> Unprompted. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> like, what would prompt him to say that? But I fucking love that energy, man. <laughs> Shit. Oh my god. I love this character. So the student who was sitting next to Mash is, is like, all right, time to go to my room since this is a boarding school. I wonder who I'm rooming with. Wait a minute. Where's the door? And he looks behind him and Mash has the door in his hands. And of course, they're roommates. So we're introduced to Mash's roommate, Finn Ames. And Mash is very nice. He's like, oh, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Mash. You know, this is all fairly new to me, but so I'll try not to cause any trouble for you. And he starts pointing to his muscles like, this is Kevin. This is Mike. This is Tom. <laughs> it's 
It's like, Jesus, dude. <laughs> um, but he's he, they're they're pretty nice to each other, despite Finn being kind of weirded out by Mash. Uh, then Mash asks him, hey, you know, how do you get to be the divine uh, visionary of the Academy? And basically we get explained that it's it's like uh, uh, it's like the school in Spy Family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have to achieve a certain number of, you know, coins uh, of gold coins, which you can get, you know, from everything from you know, taking tests, extracurricular activities. After three terms, anyone with more than five gold coins enters the running as a candidate for the next divine visionary. But if you can't keep your grades up, you'll be expelled no matter how many coins you have. So Mash is just like, oh, this is, this is going to be really bad. <laughs> but um, Finn says, well, best of luck to you. And there's a note from the narrator saying Finn did not say let's support each other. But that Mash just says, you're a really great guy. And oh, yeah, like it's like he didn't say let's support each other. Best of luck to you. Not that Mash knows. It's like, you're a really great guy. <laughs> OK, I love you, Mash. So. The next thing, time we see them, uh, the same instructor from before is is leading you know a broom uh, bride-in class. It's the exact same beginning as uh, Harry Potter, where they try to you know summon their their broomsticks. You know, between this and Wahlberg, this guy has definitely seen Harry Potter a few times. Like there is no way that they have not. Oh yeah, I, I think Harry Potter is enough of like sort of a a universal also, yeah. kind of series at this point. Also just their uniforms uh, with, you know, like the tie with the robe over it. That's like very Harry Potter movie kind of uh, yeah, look to teacher too. kind of being McGonagall esque, mm-hmm. like an older woman kind of angle here. Uh, so, <laughs> the, you know, the students are, you know, doing this, the exact same thing that they do in Harry Potter where they're, you know, hold the hand out over the broom that's lying on the ground and you're like, ah, Come up to my hand. And so Mash tries to do this. All right. Fly. Fly. Just stomps on the ground really hard. And it jumps up into his hands from the impact. And then he's like, fly. And they're like, that's cheating. You made it fly before you commanded it. And so they're like, all right, guys. Okay. You know, time trials now. So the guy who called out Mash before is like, how about we have a race? The loser has to obey the winner for as long as we're here. And Mash is like, yeah, okay. So, all right. All right. On your marks. Get set. And <laughs> Mash just like seemingly teleports across the field. And they're like, what the fuck just happened? And they're like, oh my God, it's a world record. And it's even better. Like, because I just had the thought at first. Like where he just like, ran oh. across. He ran. Yeah. But Finn is like, I saw what happened when she said start. He threw the broom like a javelin, took off from the ground and mounted the broom. <laughs> in the air. Did you ever hear about like how Thor would fly in the comics? Because, you know, they do. They reference it in the movies where he spins the hammer around and kind of throws it with the momentum and the momentum carries him. Mm-hmm. Apparently. The way that it would work in the comics was right before he launched the th- the hammer, he would actually let go of it and then he would catch it. So he would like throw it and immediately catch it and that would carry him. And it's one of those things where it's like, 
doing that does nothing. You just need to like let the momentum carry you. And it's and that's like how it is here. It's like you did not need to throw the broom in order to do this. You could have just jumped while holding on to it. I just I love the the idea behind it is so stupid. Oh, but of course the guy's like, you know, you cheated. There's no way you did that. And Mash is like, oh, can't own up to your loss. Well, don't worry, I'll, I'll drop the bet. <laughs> uh, the guy gets still pissed off, but suddenly his mouth is stitched shut. My gosh. And a really creepy looking guy who looks actually a lot like Kyoichiro from uh, Spy, uh, from not Spy, Yozakura family. It's like, oh, I'm sorry for his behavior. He didn't mean to be rude. And everyone's like, <gasps> Cavill's talking to him. Another celebrity name. <laughs> so we've got, you know, we've got Cavill here. So obviously it's like, oh, I don't know. Can we do a Geralt impression? <laughs> I'm how, wait, hold on. How are you pronouncing his name? Cavill or Cavill. Cavill. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. Whatever. Fuck. So there you go. That's the perfect pro- pro- time. To do it. <laughs> Fuck. Did you watch Witcher? Oh, yeah. I, I There's maybe no moment in television over the past year that has reached the, the perfect timing of the end of episode three, where it's just him being like, wait, no, good sir, I have to give you something for saving me. He's like, I saying, I'll take the law of surprise then. <laughs> and then just the queen like, you stupid son of a bitch. Bleh. <laughs> so Cavill's, uh, you know, greets <laughs> greets Ma- uh, Mash, and he says, "I'm Lo- I'm Lord Cavill. Nice to meet you." And Mash is just like Royd Castle. <laughs> I love it. It's the perfect follow up. Everyone like, oh my god, no one, you you can't mess with this guy. He he'll he'll tear anybody apart. Uh oh, better not mess with them. First thing. Hi, my name is Lloyd Cavill. Lloyd Castle? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lloyd just. <sighs> You're kind of funny. Let's talk more after school. I'll be waiting here. And then he drags off the guy whose mouth he's stitched shut. And he's like, Why did you have to lose like that? That was really pathetic. You couldn't follow orders. You couldn't. You made it. You looked like a loser in front of him. And he just. And he punches him so hard that like there's blood dripping from his knuckle afterward and he just says well at least i found a good mash talks with finn afterwards and mash is like why is everyone so afraid of him and finn explains well he's the son of a vip from the bureau of magic even you have to know what the bureau of magic is absolute in this world and and mash is like yeah yeah i know that (laughs) and Finn says, if you stand against him, you'll get expelled because, you know, he's in good with the Academy's vice principal. And I've been watching that happen since middle school. You know, the torment doesn't end when you've quit. That's why everyone obeys him. They're scared. And we just kind of cut to after school. Matches by himself in the kitchen. He's making his own cream puffs. Oh, look at him. He's got, he's got you know, a little apron on with frills on it and stuff. He's having a good time. He's like, oh, make, it's fun to make cream puffs on my own. I feel like I'm forgetting something. <laughs> the, that, <laughs> that, that juxtaposition of like after school cream puffs are really fun to make on your own. It's just the guy like the bully in the park, like the, the park be like, where the fuck is he? So, yeah, imagine, you know, to go back to Harry Potter, 
the very beginning of the series where Draco's like, I challenge you to a duel. Meet me after school. And they go, they, you know, Harry and Ron have to sneak out in order to go and try and find him. And it's a trap to try and get them expelled. And instead, Mash just fucking forgets about this stupid cock measuring contest because he feels like going to make cream puffs. <laughs> oh, so good. I really like this series because, again, it keeps on doing it's it keeps on being funny in different ways, but it's all tied to the kind of person that Mash is. And he's just this guy who's just minding his own business while all these assholes try and mess with him. And yeah. All right. Yozakura family. Um, so hey. the villains flashback to explain remember how someone important to him died yeah someone important to him died it was his daughter i guess yeah uh well she calls him daddy so i hope it's his daughter i pray to god it's his daughter yeah um oh and uh he he goes home to celebrate her birthday he got her a cake isn't that sweet and uh, she's like, you're acting weird, daddy, because you dress like Elton John. And he's like, oh, come on. You know, it's uh, well, I was I wanted to jazzed up a bit or it's that house stuff. This outfit, you know, it's it's, you know, that stuff you're into house hip hop. You know, isn't th- isn't this the style? And she's like, no, <laughs> it's not. Imagine being so out of touch with your daughter that you were like, yeah, the kids say they wear giant of rainbow afros and heart glasses and enormous overcoats along you know i was about to say like i was like they wear rainbow wigs and and heart eyeglasses it's like i saw some of the pictures from people at the grammys that's actually not that absurd of a thing (laughs) he might have been on more on the boy than i was led to believe but uh you know me He's like, I'm sorry, I don't really understand these things. And she's like, listen, I, I know you've been, look, I, I was just being kind of a brat because I was lonely because you've been away so much since mommy died. So thanks for coming home. Let's have the cake. And, but she says, you know, if you're going to surprise me, you should do a better job at it. Cause you know, you, you know, you blew it when you sent me that present. And he's like, what are you talking about? Oh, the presents that has been sent for her. It was a bomb and the bomb fucking killed the little girl. Well, damn. And of course, you know, Kuriuri reacts to this. You know, he's there's just he's holding his dead daughter in his arms while crying and vowing vengeance. It's like, do you, do you guys really need to stop this guy? <laughs> like, but, well, he's well, he's killing people. You're a hitman. <laughs> and I also enjoy how they justify it, too, where they're like the the people who did it couldn't send killers after me because word would have gotten to me. So they had to use something sloppy like a bomb. And I lived because of that, but my daughter wouldn't. Like I, I do like close how. To me. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool. Um, and so he's been eliminating people uh, this whole time. They're responsible for it. Uh, Tayo tries to attack him, but he just gets knocked away because hey, those triplet spies are still there. Uh, and so Courier says, "Look, you know the pain of losing your family." I don't want to hurt a fellow suffering needlessly. So if you back off, I'll tell you everything I know about your family. But Tyler just says, you don't need to tell me because I understand your feelings and I want to know about that accident. But more than that, I don't want anyone else to die. And that's all. That's why I'm a hitman. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a very shonen thing of like, I, as a spy slash hitman, will fight against you to prove that my way of not killing people is the right way to do it. He does have a stun gun, I guess. He does. Uh, and it does fit. And I do like the idea that we're kind of setting up this thing where it's Tayo going up against a guy who isn't really like an unsympathetic person, mm-hmm. you know? He's a dark reflection of him mm-hmm. because someone important to him died. And so he responded to that by deciding to get revenge as opposed to Tayo, who decided to protect someone important to him. So uh, then Sui shows up. And slashes the ground, and he and the triplets fall through it. And I'm just thinking to myself, if you could do that, why couldn't you just defeat them? Because he slashes the floor that encompasses all four of them, and none of them react to it or get out of the way. And I'm like, why couldn't you just beat them then? <laughs> anyway, whatever. It's a So they're splitting up the fight so that Sui's going to take on the three triplets while Tayo takes on Kuriri. That's what happens. Samurai 8 hey remember how Hachimaru learned that he should treat Anne better well he's gonna learn that again (laughs) chapter 38 Anne and Hachimaru and Goku this is a chapter about Anne and Hachimaru and Goku there's a little bit of discussion at the beginning about their plans and stuff who cares Uh, Hachimaru's like I've been training. I maybe I should ask. What should I ask Anne to cook for me today? Hey, Anne. Oh, but Anne's been watching Goku cook, and she's like, "Oh, wow, that's great. Thank you for cooking." And everyone's like, "It's so delicious, Goku. This is great. Why aren't you eating hot tomorrow? I'm not hungry." Hey, Goku, come train with me. Let's fight. Hey, I want to let you know a samurai of fate works with a princess of fate, and I am her samurai of fate. And Sanja's just like, well, he better not lose now. And he does. <laughs> God. It's so... It, the entire chapter could just be summed up by, like, fucking this enormous need to dick measure against Goku from Hachimaru, who is just overwhelmingly jealous of the fact that An is spending time with another guy. And it's just so shameless and stupid. Like, I don't know if this is meant to be a big character growth moment for Hachimaru, because as you kind of said, we've already kind of been over this to a certain extent. Yeah. The weird, like, angle of like, oh, is it a love triangle or something like that? Like, there's a more interesting story in Goku being like, hey, I'm a samurai without a princess. Yeah. That really sucks. You're taking it for granted. Like, there's some interesting stuff there. Wish we didn't have to follow the most unlikable person in this entire scenario. It's just one of those things where it's like, you could have this story be told without putting having Hachimaru go backwards in the progress that they had made. Because it felt like he had made a big step before when he was, you know, not talking over Anne and interrupting her and stuff like that uh, was acknowledging hey you need to listen to her and pay mind to her feelings and stuff and he just seems to have forgotten that because now he's like you know he gets frustrated and he yells at her when he loses and he's snapping at her and then he just goes and apologizes like hey i'm sorry and she's like it's fine oh you forgive me great want to go outside no 
And so Goku is just like, hey, you're not very good at talking to girls, are you? <laughs> just, you know, like that, you know, the way that she talked to you, you know, you're not really interpreting exactly what she's actually, you know, feels right now. You know, you can't just do whatever you want just because, you know, you bowed politely and stuff like that. And he says, hey, you know, you, you need to be a proper person before you can be a proper samurai. And yeah, he goes over the point that you mentioned before about, you know, samurai and princesses and how it sucks to have no princess. Um, then they ha- they then after they've had this conversation, Goku is like, hey, I made a thing. And everyone's like, wow, Goku, it's an amazing thing. And Hachimaru's like, you just made a tree and some flowers. And it's like, well, no, because you see, you can't read another person's mind. And that's why you do flower arranging. It helps to express yourself. And then it lets others see what's in your heart. And Hachimaru just like, so he's just showing off fine. He just, he, he told you already what you're doing wrong. <laughs> no, he has to talk to everybody, including Sen's fucking princess, who has been in this series for like 20 chapters and just now has finally been given a name. I have a character, by the way. <laughs> and I don't know. Why is Send the Silence still around? I don't get I it. I don't know. Was this thing like, I had to find that dog samurai. And he's there. He's right there. Well, and it makes sense why each, both Ann and Hachimaru go to talk with you know, the other. You know, Hachimaru goes to get some insight from another princess. And Ann gets insight from another samurai about their bond. And they both say, like, yeah, you know, there was a, you know, you know, an awkwardness between us before. But, you know, yeah. And then there's this whole thing because Anne's like, I feel like Hachimaru just sees me as a princess of fate. He doesn't see me as me. And sends like during the battle on planet Kenga, I sensed a special connection between the two of you. <laughs> But, what wise like, sage advice you've now offered me? And <laughs> Anne's just like, well, but it gets even worse because she's like, well, but I think that might have just all been from me. And since like, in that case, you should go and find out for yourself. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I love said this. Uh, like, how did he get this nickname? Was someone one day just like... <laughs> Like, wow, you really dropped such great nuggets of wisdom. Few words, but such wise meaning behind all of them. Yeah. He's like, I am very wise. I mean, at least Kiriku tells Hachimaru, I have seen a lot of samurai and princesses leave, you know, be separated because they failed to see the true person on the other end. And Hachimaru actually says, well, what happens to a princess who loses her samurai? And she's like... She forms a bond with a new samurai and that's it, which so it's nice to have that thing where it's like, OK, and and Hachimaru are not forever bound. It's something like Hachimaru, you need to actually figure this out because she can actually get sick of you and decide to leave. Uh, but he actually learns from the conversation and and just kind of like is told go talk to him i guess <laughs> like she's so like she's like oh the princess is uh is is, is talking to somebody well i'll go talk to send this out i'm sure he has equally good advice to give and he's like oh you try giving him a little something <laughs> like what what um i don't know if you guys how old are you kids do, do kids <laughs> fuck when they're 12 like <laughs> 
I don't. Um. Hmm. In the silence, I, I've, I've, taken, I've taken a vow of silence. <laughs> I never talk. You'll never hear me talk about anything. I don't open my mouth for anything. I, don't, I never talk. I, I can't talk to you because I can't talk. I can't talk. I gotta leave right now. I gotta. I, mean, I can't talk. I gotta, I, I, I gotta go. I gotta go. You probably can't talk because the thing is, I can't talk. So <laughs> I'm in the silence. <laughs> Imagine like I'm just imagining that like send the silent delivering like really bad personal development lectures to kids like okay so you guys are what eleven yeah um so when she asks you uh, not to do butt stuff to her just you know like oh you guys know what butt stuff is right so it's like you guys, you guys are all fucked right <laughs> you guys are eleven or twelve you've been around the block so. Now, most of you at this point probably have six or seven STDs. That's fine. You know what? You work with you got. I've got some Mr. bingo Sam cards, you guys. Can... Mr. The Silent, what's an STD? Uh, you know, uh, I, I can't got, talk. I got... I, I'm so the silent. I, I, I don't talk. I just, oh, now that you mentioned it, I'm, I'm sort of out of silence. I have to get going. I have to. It's my just... right. Hold on. I, I, everybody stay silent while I call my Uber to pick me up. But I don't you know, talk. Cooper, you you use the app. <laughs> Why do you know that? Oh, you're old enough to know how to use Uber, but not to fuck each other. Oh, okay, I guess kids they know everything. Look, birds. I don't talk. It just like brings up topics that are really outside of their nature, and then when they ask him what they are, he's just like, "Oh, uh, I can't." Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, oh, I guess that should get right down to it. I don't really, um. The, the, the power was inside you all along, kids. I get going. Why? <laughs> I'm silent. I can't talk. So Hachimaru and, and meet up to talk finally. And I do appreciate that they get over this point really quickly because Hachimaru is like, I want to know why, you know, this is happening. You know, I mean, you've been acting strange since Goku showed up. And it's like, Goku doesn't have anything to do with it. It's you know, look, look, I like you, Hachimaru, but I don't want you to see me as a Sam as just a, a princess. I want you to see me. And Hachimaru is like, well, I don't think of you that way. Um, and and also gets self-conscious. She says, I, I worry that if I talk to you about this, you would be annoying. And she's like, no, I wouldn't. And Anne says to protect. Look, you swore the oath you swore is to protect the princess who makes you stronger. My brother always saw me for the for the person that I am. So they're actually hitting this point that we saw in the flashback before because nobody else knew about that. Mm. So, yeah, there are some good parts of this chapter, but it's disappointing to see Hachimaru heading backwards. That said, I infinitely prefer this to the bullshit we're in a virtual reality room and you've got to level up your abilities because the samurai god showed up. And <laughs> Love is a mechanic in this universe. It's quantifiable and measurable in many ways as demonstrated by this VR program. Without a proper amount of love, you will not be able to activate the ultra mega cat sword move. Zip Man, chapter 10. Zip, zip. Kagami wins. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of the chapter. <laughs> wins. The, the flame head guy keeps on something bigger and bigger attacks, and 
Kagami just walks through them, uh, rips off, punches the fuck out of the guy. Um, and, you know, Kagami is silent throughout the course of this entire thing. The guy inside of the flamehead suit says, you want to know the chairman's location, right? I- I'll tell you. I mean, it's useless to to go after him, but I'll tell you. But then we get this shot from far outside, zooming in and in and in, as suddenly a katana comes flying through the air and kills the guy. All right. Yeah, but it's, it's pretty fucking brutal. They just murder this dude straight up. And there is a note attached to the sword, which reads, thanks for your hard work, the chairman. Uh, Kagami goes back outside. He's carrying Gina. He's saved her. And uh, she's like, oh, thank you. But Kagami is just walking away. And she's like, Jackman. And we get a shot of it seems that the zip man is crying from because, of course, Koshiro has gone. He's imprisoned and he's definitely not coming back at all. Yeah, I mean, so uh, the series is getting canceled. It feels yeah. uh, very obvious that that's what's going to happen. And it feels like this would not be happening now if it weren't going to be canceled. So No, and it's unfortunate because the series has a lot of bright points. But because it's down this road, we have to lose those. Like I was like, man, it's kind of a bummer that like the main character's energy was one of the biggest points of the series, but he has to be all sad and angsty now. So we can't even get that after like his first big victory or anything like that. He's just going to be silent and mopey the whole time. Like Mm -hmm. shit, I can't even really enjoy this. Yeah. Um, I feel as though this would have been a good thing to have happen, you know, after they'd had a few actual adventures together. So you would actually feel the loss um, I like the way that this is done, but it's a matter of the way that the series is paced and the way things have been laid out that really takes away from this. So, All right, let's move on to We Never Learn. Question 147, an ephemeral, the ephemeral mermaid sprinkles into the promised pizza bet, part six. So all the characters arrive at school where Aruka has written a goodbye on the graduation to everybody. And everyone's like, wait, what's happening? Yeah, uh, she has to leave because of the storm. So her flight is going to leave before noon. And that's the situation. Uwega's kind of just like, oh, yeah. Uh, we cut to Aruka, who's at the airport. And they're like, are you really okay with missing graduation? She's like, yeah, I mean, I wanted to graduate with everybody. But what else can I do? So... Uh, Uega goes to the bathroom and is splashy water on his face because he's like, uh, I guess this is what's for the best, you know? She said she didn't need a response. Uh, whatever fucking Kirisu's sister was, she said it would be fatal and I don't want to get in the way of her dreams. So she... But why do you look so sad about it, Uega? Yeah. So he leaves the bathroom and Ogata's there. And uh, there's a small poop joke. And then she immediately is like, hey, can I kiss you? And he's like, what the fuck? It's so sudden. I mean, I told you before, kiss should really mean something. And she's like, what if it really does mean something? And he's like, no, it's, I mean, it's not the point. I mean, you shouldn't. And she just says, who do you love? Why didn't you respond to Aruka? Yuega is stunned. He's like, I, you know, I didn't want to get in the way of what's best for Aruka. And Ogata's like, what's best for Ruka? Are you the one who decides that? 
or should she? To hell with knowing what's best for someone else, right? And she walks away, and he's like, wait. Well, she kisses him on the cheek. And he's like, wait, what was that? She's like, oh, it was just a joke. I'm totally dense when it comes to understanding people's feelings. And uh, then Firmino shows up, and she's like, ah, you know, I didn't mean to overhear, but did you figure it out? Do you really know what do you want to do right now? And they cut back to that moment of the two of them in bed talking about, like, find something you really want to do one day. I'll do everything to support you, my little bro. And uh, he breaks down. He starts crying. He says, I want to see Yuruka. And Firmino thinks to herself, like, ah, yeah, I'm sorry. That day, I was really jealous of you. Thinking back to what we saw a couple chapters ago where she almost kissed Uego while he was in bed. And she says, I probably would have held on to that feeling and just been better, bitter, but, you know, those words you said were, let's all go after our, our feelings, you know, that was a tremendous gift, so now I can be true to my heart. And she says, so, if that's what you want, I'll accept your response with a smile, and uh, I'll support you with everything I've got. So they're like, alright, let's fucking get you to the airport. Clearly we know what's going on. And, uh... They're about to get going with a bunch of teachers like, hey, what the fuck are you guys doing? You got to get to the graduation. And in one of the coolest moments, uh, the two of them just immediately start asking the teachers really complicated things about the subjects they were really good at. So you wake up like, I have, uh, I have to ask you about one of these super complicated uh, math formulas. And uh, Fumito's like, oh, take a look at my graduation speech. And it's like, oh, I guess I can take a look. So they do that. And they're like, hey, we're holding them off. You do you, Uega. And Uega said, you know, we cut back to the very beginning where Uega was like, I know I can make you both very happy, so please do it with me. And the two of them say, you really brought us a lot of happiness, so now it's our turn to make you happy. And with that, Uega runs off after Uruka at the airport. So it seems like we're hitting the conclusion a lot faster than I suspected that we would because... This one chapter seems to resolve the love plot. Yeah. All at once, basically. <laughs> this was the chapter where you're just like, oh, okay, we've decided which yeah. girl it is. I was surprised when this happened. It's it's nice, I will say, you know, because it you know, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of heartbreak, but everyone is still friends and they're happy for each other. Um, so now it's we're getting that big, you know, you know, romantic comedy thing. It's like, I got to get there before the girl leaves forever on her plane. And that's it. And that seems to be it. That seems to be the conflict. It's no longer what girl is you going to end up with. It's our Uruka and Uiga going to end up together. And that's basically it. Uh Um, but it was also, it was nice to have this chapter focusing on the three of them, the three characters that we started off with and seeing this, you know, cementing and kind of celebration of their friendship and what they mean to each other together. Um, I do think it's a shame that we've seen some characters go through as much development as they have. And it feels honestly as though Ogata has devolved over, over the course of the series. Um, because like you said, boob joke and, uh, there's not a whole lot that really actually happens with her in this conversation. There's a lot more of a feeling of closure when it comes to Fumino in terms of resolving the feelings that she's been having, uh, 
the fact that the way Ruka, you know, was kind with her and happy with her, um, admitting her feelings for Yuigo when she had been carrying those inside of her because she was afraid of hurting her friends. And now that all comes resolved as, you know, because that happened, she's able to just be happy for them. Whereas with Ogata, she's just going to like, I am still a robot. I have difficulty expressing emotions. And it doesn't really feel as if she's really made a whole lot of progress, honestly. I have a slightly different interpretation. I feel like this was a scene that was meant to show that she has changed because she's the one who picks up on the fact that Uega is clearly kind of convincing himself of things <laughs> and not taking uh, Ruka's thoughts into consideration completely here when she's like, are you the one who gets to decide what's best or should Ruka? And I thought it was very poignant that she's the one who kind of says something that nuanced of an opinion when it comes to this relationship. Mm. Because she's usually the person who has difficulty reading yeah. people's emotions. I get that. Okay. But uh, my thoughts on her as a whole still kind of feel like, mm. Yeah, I, I still think she maybe doesn't have the same level of closure of Firmino. Because it doesn't feel as though her feelings are completely resolved. Mm-hmm. You know, she kisses Juega and then sort of is like, I wish you the best. But it doesn't feel like we've fully close the loop there but i think we're leaving it to maybe expand something in the future so or maybe we're just kind of meant to be like hey we didn't want to repeat ourselves twice with both girls being like oh well okay because of these things i'm okay with letting my feelings with uega go kind of unfulfilled or whatever (laughs) bass forever points out in the chat Ogata will get her closure when she hooks up with Seki Joe. I could taste the pizza now. So, After this chapter, I was so really Chris, like, that is like, a good point. I was like, she's open. <laughs> now that it seems as though Ogata is not hooking up with Uiga. Cool. Oh, man. Oh, I can't wait. Any second. Oh, I'm, I'm sweating. Oh. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I should have been rooting for Ogata this whole time. <laughs> You're like, come on. <laughs> Stay robotic. Never so understood there, people's feelings. So, Chris, is there a pizza place you want me to order from for you? <laughs> hey, we haven't gotten there yet. We don't know. But I, I do have play. I'll give you those numbers later. <laughs> You've had it written down for two years. <laughs> uh, it's been waiting all this time. <laughs> oh, my God. All but right. I, I Doc- love this chapter. Dr. Stone. Z equals 139. First dream. Time to get stuck. Uh, so, of course, last chapter, the Y man was stating the diameter of the Earth one second to tr- in some sort of effort to trigger the uh, petrification device. Uh, but it said it with Senku's voice. Gasp. So everyone's like, what's what's going on here? What is and I like how Taiji's completely like, well, Senku would never be a bad guy. <laughs> so he says, like, well, it, it, maybe it's a recording. Uh, and Senku's like, well, but I've never said that ever. So, mm. uh, so people are trading ideas and stuff like that. And Ryusu just says, like, theories without evidence are no better than boorish delusions. Why a man is hostile toward us, he will make contact again, allowing us to get to the bottom of this. And so, you know, very calmly, you know, breaks that down. And then shortly afterward, they get another message. It's the same thing repeated. Uh, with and Ukyo, hey, you get to do something important with your listening skills. He says it is literally the exact same as before. It's the same pitch. It's the same tone. 
And you know what? It actually dips into the uncanny valley like a vocaloids. It's a synthetic voice. So Ken's like, well, how is this possible? And Risu's like, well, we shouldn't be asking how, though. We should be asking why. Why send a message with an artificial voice? And if we answer that, that could help us expose who it is and where they are. Uh, and so Chrome, uh, Chrome says, well, hey, Senku, when you put Ibarra in his place, you petrified him with a transmitted command. So maybe Y-Man imitated your voice based on that. Basically thinking, well, if you transmitted the, the voice, maybe Y-Man was listening in. And because of that, they decided to model the command based off of that voice. The more they talk about synthetic voices, though, it makes me worry more and more like, oh, no, please don't let it be that robot from the spinoff that's the villain. Uh, especially because of uh, the direction they end up taking things at the end of the chapter. <clears throat> but anyway. Uh, Soyuz recognizes the shape of the Medusa um, from somewhere with his super memory. Uh, there. Kohaku brings over people with battle potential. Is like, hey, we should train for the inevitable, ba inevitable battle against Y-Man. Um, and Kirisame is there. And Kohaku and Kirisame trade blows briefly. They're pretty much sparring. And Kirisame actually compliments Ko Kohaku on her strength, saying, oh, you must have been you know, holding back against me before. And Kohaku's like, nah, I was wearing a slutty dress, and that sucked to fight in. So, so we, there's been this saying that kind of kohaku she fights very acrobatically but the manga has always had to be very graceful about the fact that she's wearing a dress so all these poses has to have like a piece of clothing or something like that cover up the fact that she's not oh, no. fucking wearing any underwear yeah talking about kirisame's freaking nighty that she <laughs> like, wears all the time so bad. kirisame just has one long fucking ponytail thing or, like, fucking shit on her back. That's the only thing they have to fucking try to cover up the fact that that chick's just wearing nothing right now. Eventually we're gonna, you know, get a chance to, like, ask, ask you know, I don't know, Inagaki, like, so what's with the clothing that these characters wear? Listen, <laughs> He's like, I knew what I was getting into when I teamed up with Boichi, yeah. alright? <laughs> hey, let the man have his work! He turns out a good product, but he kind of goes stir crazy a bit if you don't let him draw boobs and butt. So <laughs> just, I just leave him to his own devices. <laughs> anyway, Kirisame is a good fighter, even without the petrification device. That's the point. Then we get uh, Soyuz and Taiju. They pull out the statue that they managed to get off of the ocean floor. The guy has uh, a detached arm. And when they, when Soyuz brings the arm out, it's like, Oh, this is it. And look, you know, there is a symbol that looks like the petrification device. Kind of, uh, it's pretty rough. Uh, so they managed to, uh, get him all together. Uh, and Reese was like, okay, well, he shouldn't be too eroded, so we should be fine. And they revive him. And sure enough. Yeah. And he looks basically like he would be like an ancestor of Moses. Um, because as we learn, like it's been a while that he's been petrified, not nearly so long as all the regular people, of course, but yeah. Uh, so he's been revived and he's like, Oh, and so he, so he says, I am in your debt, unknown traveler. Let me express my gratitude. And dude starts acting like an old school samurai. You know, he ties his hair back in a, in a ponytail. Uh, he bows on his, he gets down on his knees in order to thank Senku, but then he happens to look over and spots Ginro trying to run away from training. 
and he rushes through Kirisame and uh, Kohaku, grabs Ginra protectively and calls him Lord. Uh, and he apologizes for having not been by his side and says, these brigands shall not have their way with you. And everyone's like, that's that's Ginro. That's that that's our resident sleaze back. <laughs> uh, so Matsukaze, the samurai guy, basically recognizes Ginro from some distant relative of his from the past. Uh, and Ginro's like, you should still treat me as your master, though, like I'm his reincarnation or something. So Matsukaze being from further in the past than anyone else in the petrification kingdom, uh, he says that uh, once this island was peaceful, but then disaster befell us, that which you call the petrification device, a great number of them rained down from the heavens as if in a nightmare. And so Rus was like, oh, so the source of everything is from above. So they managed to assemble this big ass antenna. And then the next time that Wyman sends them a transmission, uh, they're able to eventually calculate that uh, where the signal is coming from. And uh, so everyone's like, OK, well, you know, they're not on the surface of the earth they're not in the atmosphere. So uh, Kaseki is like, so you're saying they're really far away. And Senka says, well, actually, the Earth's rotation has us moving through space. So if we can get a hold of the baseline length, blah, blah, blah. A lot of words. Essentially, the signal's not from that far away. And so it turns out that the signal is coming from a few hundred thousand kilometers away on the moon! <laughs> so they're like, so the signal's coming from the moon. And then Gen's like, Wait a minute. Are you saying... I, I do love that he's like, we've done it so many times. I know exactly what you're about to suggest. I just can't believe you're going to do it. And Senku just says, we're going to the moon. <laughs> Big two-page spread, Senku's face at one side, moon in the middle, the fucking space shuttle on the... Well, not the space shuttle, but the moon rocket thing. On the right. So, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Stone's going to the moon. I, You know what? And I love it. This was such the right chapter to do this on. After we just had our big, like, part two or part three over. Now start part four. of Like, what a fucking awesome hype moment to be like, what's the first thing we establish in this new part? We're going to the motherfucking moon. Like. All right, let's fucking do this. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, it, uh, it's, it's been Senku's dream to go into space. We saw it in the big flashback that explained how important science was to him, that he has dreamed of this all his life. But who knew that he would have to go into space in order to save the world, Chris? <laughs> this was absurd, but I loved it. Fantastic. All right, time to get some people angry. Chainsaw Man, Chapter 58. <laughs> Yutaro Kurose. So, um, we begin in a parking lot. Fender bender happens. The guy leans out of the car and is like, you hit my car. And it's one of the Chinese assassins, Demon Girls. 
And she goes, Halloween! And the guy's like, Halloween? She's like, Halloween! And she's like, and the guy's just like, Halloween! Halloween, Halloween, Halloween! And then they walk off, the assassin and her demon girls in tow. And they're like, look, sushi! Let's go have sushi, Lady, Lady Chuan Z. And they go into the restaurant and the chef is like, oh, welcome. And then the zombie girl is like, Halloween. He's like, what are fiends doing here? Halloween. 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 I don't like this character. Well, I like that we kind of seem to subtly establish. I think she has some form of mild hypnosis that she puts people on because then they start Mm -hmm. saying Halloween. Yeah. So I like that this group are all just fucking monster. Like not like not literally monsters. Well, I mean they are literally monsters, but they all are essentially like crooked in some way. Like she's this weird creature who only says Halloween anymore. Who like brainwashes people. Uh, the one with the big hair tie, as we'll kind of establish, like just says unpleasant things that kind of, like, kind of ruins things around people. Yeah. Uh, the one with the handcuffs is just eating fucking plates. The other one's just a corpse. They're all like yeah. genuinely very unpleasant people yeah. to be around, it seems like. Yes. And you kind of see why uh, Quangxi seems so fucking beleaguered all the time. Yes. But the Halloween girl is fucking annoying. And that is all that I care about. <laughs> That's fair. She annoys me, and I hate her. (laughs) So, yeah. That happens. We see them kind of eating a bit. Uh, One of the girls starts eating the plates, and the girl with the mouth in her hair is like, no, those aren't edible. And Chumanji's just like, chew your food before you swallow. (laughs) That's that's all. She doesn't care. So, we cut over to the third brother. Um who uh, looks down at an image of the uh, three characters that they replaced. And it says, hey, you know, next time you're in Tokyo, let's go. Well, it's actually not the three characters, I don't think. Anyway. Yeah, is it? I think it's, I it's, I think it's two of them. I thought one of them, like the one girl. Of them is the, I think the yeah. girl in the photo was one of them. And I think. Yeah, because she's got one. the scar. Yeah. yeah. But uh so there's a note on the back saying, hey, you know, next time you're in Tokyo, let's go swimming again and, you know, foamy at this number. So the third brother disguises himself as Kurose, the one who had his other brother had been disguised as when he got hit by the car before. But, you know, he goes and meets with this guy's friend. Uh, and so, you know, they drink and they talk together and stuff like that. And uh, so the fake Kurose says, hey, you didn't get any calls or hear from anyone today, you know, like from your parents or your friends. No, nah, nobody calls me except my boss and my mom anymore. So, yeah, you're in Tokyo. Did you get you didn't get a hotel room or nothing, though. And there's just a really nice little touch of there's just single frame flashback. There's police stationed outside of hotels, so he can't fly, He can't go anywhere uh, where in order to check in because police will investigate him. So he hung out with this guy's friend instead. Cool. Um, and, but then the guy's like, Hey, shouldn't you, you know, stay with like your girlfriend, Misa, are you two, you know, having a fight? 
he's like, um, yeah. And there's, you know, more pictures of, you know, there's like, you know, Grosse hang out with, uh, with this girl and their dogs. There's a shot of, uh, Grosse as a kid hang out with his mom. Uh, there's a shot of when Grosse was a kid and they, the, he and this guy Timona were on a, on a soccer team together and stuff like that. And the guy's just like rattling off, you know, the guy's backstory, like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, don't you have all these people you could have hung out with instead of me? And Kurose just suddenly says, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm so, uh, what the hell am I doing? And basically he's just overwhelmed by like, oh, we killed this guy who had this life because we wanted to make money. You know, mm-hmm. it's a really effective scene uh, with him as he just you know, has this breakdown. Maybe. It was all a long con that we got introduced to all these assassins who seemed super interesting. And I was like, these three brothers are fucking boring. And by the end of it, I'm going to be like, the one brother was the only interest. Like, the re- he was way more interested than everybody else. He had depth. Mm-hmm. Well, because you would think that, you know, this is setting up like, okay, this is this guy. You know, he's going to be Kurose from now on. He's going to take over this guy's life and escape this world of assassination and stuff like that. But then the two of them are, you know, sleeping in the same room together. And uh, his friend is like, listen, I'm going to quit my job. So, hey, why don't you, you know, start up a clothing store with me? And I'll foot the bill for the startup. If you stick with this devil hunter thing, you're going to get eaten one day, you know, like your brother did. So, you know, you should look after your parents before you die. What would your brother say if he saw you acting like this? And Kurose, fake Kurose, gets an image of his two dead brothers looking at him. And he says, we're immortal. Why? Because we're ruthless, soulless, and emotionless. So don't be afraid. A pro always gets the job done. And his friend just kind of looks at him. He's like, what do you really say? Something that cool? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're kind of drunk, too. So like, shit, it's pretty dope. This is a really cool scene. I love the way that this plays out that this, you know, cowardly, uncomfortable with killing brother get goes on this thing after he freaks out and he runs away. But then he gets this thought of I have to do this now. And he's more determined to kill Denji than ever. It's a really interesting way to play a villain. So. And uh, then the German Santa Claus walks through a crowd of people on the street and he seemingly brainwashes, infects them all with something. So he's got a horde of like zombies or something following after him now. Uh, puppets. They're all puppets. They have like the, the puppet lines by their mouth. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's turning right. into his own little puppets. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Like all the pieces are kind of in place and uh, uh, it's looking pretty cool. All right. All right. Let's talk about Seven Deadly Sins then. Uh, a, what the chapter that. Uh, hold on. Fucking Crunchyroll's. 342. Crunchyroll's victory cry. Shit all day. What a weird chapter this is. Uh, it assuming is. I can actually get it to look. There we go. All right. Yeah. Uh, 342 victory cry. Uh, so Kate Sith is there and they're like, we got to fight him. Uh, they kind of beat him last time, but he's just reforming again. And he's like, you know, everyone dies eventually. Um, like, even if I don't destroy it, even if the Demon Lord doesn't destroy it, something else will. Everyone dies one day. Everything comes to an end. I am inevitable. 
And inevitable. Big big monster villain saying that they are inevitable has uh, been provenly going a hundred percent correct in the past year of pop fiction, so or pop culture. So I'm I'm feeling good things for Kate Seath. Um, Lodius is like enough chit chat. Let's get him. And Kate Seath narrows his eyes and then opens a really big flash. <sighs> so. To sum up very quickly, the next, like, 17 pages don't happen. It's all a dream! <laughs> it's all this hypnosis thing, essentially, that happens where they defeat Kate Seath by, like, freezing him in time. And everyone's like, well, as long as we work together, everything's going to be A-OK. And Melodius marries uh, Elizabeth, and they have a big celebration. And they talk about how they're like, oh, Elaine's well, pregnant with child. So, uh, like the bond's not going to be at the wedding and, and, and Diane and King have gone off to the fairy world. So they're, they're over there. So uh, they haven't all been able to make it over here, but we're all still together here in this moment. And then it cuts even further along and they're like, oh, bonds died. Yeah. And, uh, Kay and Diane and King still haven't come back and it's Elizabeth on her deathbed. And she's like, well, I won't be reborn again, but I'm so glad I get to spend this last day with you. And you're really, I was just like, holy shit, was I right when I said this was like the oh, next no, chapter? I saw, this hap- I saw this happening. It was, and I, I mean, like, when they literally just like, well, he's frozen now. Let's leave. Yeah. <laughs> and they just start, this all had starts happening so quickly. I'm like, yeah, there's no way this is fucking real. <laughs> it's it's very strange. But then they're like, uh-oh, big problems happen. Uh, Kate Palug is, is free again. And uh, Kate is, is sees like, ah, see, the rest are all dead. And it's too bad. I guess you had to fight me all alone. Uh, but Melodius's friendship breaks the curse. Everyone's like, don't be sad. We'll, we'll be here with you. And uh, they're right. So Melodius wakes up and he's like, oh, shit. Well, that was fucking weird. And Kate Palook's like. It's futile. I I will eat Arthur, and then I will be unified with chaos and swallow everything. And Arthur says, ah, that's it. I've figured it out. How to defeat you. And that's where we end the chapter. Yeah. So only Meliodas and Arthur are not currently under the effects of this illusion hypnosis thing, uh-huh. seemingly. So, um... This is this whole sequence has been paced very strangely, and this chapter did not do that any favors in terms of doing this whole thing, this whole illusion thing in a single chapter. Uh, so it's, you you're, you're you're put in the illusion, and then it's gone in the same sitting. So it's very odd. Uh, yeah, I. Yeah. I'm kind of waiting for something to happen to either pull us into this sequence of events or for it to just end because it, it keeps on feeling as though it's on the verge of like it's done and now everything's wrapped up and the, and the series is done forever. Whereas in the previous thing, the stuff with all of the, with, you know, the demon King returning and stuff like that. Once like, you know, they got the explanation of all oh, the curse is still in place because the demon Lord is reviving and stuff. Then it's like, all right, now we've got this thing and we've got to go and resolve that. And now stuff is going to happen before we can actually finish things off. Whereas this feels like because they've killed Kath Balug so many times and he just keeps on coming back. It just feels like, OK, which of these ones is going to stick so then we can all go home? Like, <laughs> So 
Yeah. All right. Promise Neverland, chapter 167. This way, demons. Uh, so the demons are kind of bad at their jobs. I mean, we can sum this chapter up way quicker. We only have so much time left. They, they, they round they them up into a single room. all the demons into a room. <laughs> they round them up into a single room, break their masks, and gas them. And that is basically what happens um, because they're very bad at their jobs. And now the kids are going after Peter Rotary. That I, is basically it. Yeah, I can appreciate that the kids found a way to still be kind of creative and this wasn't just like, we shot you a bunch of times and we won. Like, they still had to actually come up with a plan and utilize it. It's just, it, the, fuck, man, the bad guys seem so lame in this yeah. series right now. They just seem so fucking lame. Well, because, especially because there's this whole thing from one of them who's like, find them and kill them. I will never forget the humiliation they brought upon me with that escape two years ago. We are the highest grade farm, Gracefield. And I'm like, oh, okay. You were working at the farm two years ago. What's your name? And there's like, they also kind of waste what should have been a super cool moment because Gilda at one point falls and they're like, oh no, she's she's going to get caught by the demons. And then Ash shows up and it's like, All right, that could have been saved for a much cooler moment than like the eighth smallest panel in one page halfway through a chapter mm. that doesn't really feel climactic. Yeah. There's also a part where right at the beginning when they start to clash where Emma's like, let's start this game of tag. And she and Ray and Norman and uh, Jillian are rushing in and one of the demons swings at her. And Emma jumps like 20 feet over his head by the looks of it. <laughs> so it's just like, God, it's supposed to be like they're, you know, outwitting them and they've got guns, not like Emma can jump oh, no. 20 feet. E e Emma has super legs. Didn't they yeah. establish that? She she got uh, oh, fuck. What was uh, what was the Shin Gong Wu that uh, the, the Mantis flip coin? She has the Mantis flip coin. <laughs> there was this, that's what she wished for. From the All right. Demon. If that this series had been about them fighting the demons by collecting the Shin Gong Wu. <laughs> It would gain an additional star rating from yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, we're going to see Peter Ratchery show up, and then uh, <laughs> Hashtag Ray's going to be like, Fast off Tabby Wong! And punch him in the dick and break his penis. All of them tsunami! Ice! <laughs> That's how the series ends. <laughs> Ray fist of Tabby Wongs, Peter Ratchery in the penis, and it ends. I've got all the best Chingo will. <laughs> I, I am the best. I'm the Raimundo of the series. What if, what if Ray just like started carrying around random shit in his pockets and was calling it Shingong Wu? <laughs> so he's like, look, it's the man of Swipcoin. And he tries to do a backflip and falls over a table. <laughs> like, Ray, that's just a buffalo nickel. <laughs> no, it's the minus flip coin. You can't take that. You have to defeat me in a challenge showdown. All right, what's the challenge? You have to be hashtag Ray. I win again. <laughs> Whoever can think back furthest into their memories. Oh, too bad you don't have baby memories. I'm older than you, Ray. So I remember back further. No, that's cheating. <laughs> it's bullshit. All right, <laughs> One Piece.
Oh man, One Piece chapter nine hundred seventy one is so good. <laughs> Sentence to boil. So, uh, we get a little look into uh, Odin's household. Momonosuke is asking, "Hey, mother, why are we in danger?" And Toki's like, "Because your father is a great man, and you are one day meant to carry the nation on your shoulders. No fucking pressure." <laughs> Uh, one of the uh, uh, servants has tasted their food for poison, so they dig into their meal. Momonosuke is crying. I like the touch that Hiyori doesn't know what's going on, which makes it a little bit extra heartbreaking. Uh, the execution is about to begin. They've got the oil boiling up, and they're like, oh, yeah, you, know, you don't want to miss this. And uh, so everyone's like, ah. Oh. He couldn't beat Kaido. No, I I mean, he's a fool of a lord, but I thought his strength was the real deal. So if he's not even strong, what good is he? And so Odin just says over to Kaido, I request you give me a chance. It's imperative that I survive. And I was like, ah, oh, come on, get into the pot. <laughs> and I don't know exactly what happens. I think the guy just trips like a fucking idiot and falls into the boiling oil while he's trying to torment Odin. Yeah, he does. He just slips. What a fucking idiot. So, but this demonstrates, yeah, in seconds he's dead. So, yeah. But Odin says, all 10 of us will enter the pot together. And if any of us withstand the boiling for the amount of time you agree upon, let them go free. And none of his vassals know about this ahead of time. So, you know, Orochi is like, well, you're all going to die. Come on. And Kaido is like, all right, go get a clock. You have one hour. Let's see you last that long. A little bit of an echo of the uh, the time that he had to survive uh, in order to join Whitebeard's crew. Mm. Uh, but they're like, yeah, we'll see you, you've got. It. And so Odin demands that he give his word. And afterwards, Odin gets into the pot immediately. You know, it's, ah, it's overwhelming him. Uh, but they're like, OK, come on, everyone after him. We'll meet again in the afterlife. But Odin says, all of you get on top of the plank and he hefts up this plank and all of the, of the samurai balanced on top of it while he carries them safely above the boil. Oh, Nick, he still got it. So he still got it. Lord Odin is protecting all of his, all of his vassals and taking the punishment himself so he can save their lives. And all of them are like, we should be the ones holding you up. And he's like, stay up there. This is an order. Oh, my God. This entire flashback, even if it sucked, this would have been worth it. <laughs> so Orochi objects to this and Kaido's like, they're all in the pot. This is really fun. Keep it going. <laughs> so um, with nine people balanced on his back, he's holding them all up. And the minutes slowly tick by uh, like, you know, a few pages have passed. And I'm like, OK, he's made it like a few minutes right now. He's made it 40 seconds in the course of those pages. And then we get a little time skip to a couple minutes later. Yeah, like it's it's. Agonizingly slow uh, and it gets up to four minutes and eventually someone is like, wow, you know, this is actually really boring. <laughs> So they're all like, oh, he's he, I figured he'd be dying in agony, but I, I better get going. I can't be wasting any more time on this fool of a lord. And Shinobu's in the crowd and she knocks the guy over and she says, how dare you call him that? If you say that again, I will I will end your life. And everyone's like, oh, my God, it's Kunoichi. But 
she just you know makes makes a big fuss screaming and says you are the fools uh, do you, who do you think has been ensuring that you all live in peace if you lose lord odin now you'll come to understand you'll know how much misery he kept at bay for orochi's no shogun or even a dictator orochi doesn't want to rule over a populace and we finally see the conversation that odin and orochi had a few chapters ago where orochi said Every single person in this land is guilty of persecuting the Kurozumis. I don't care if every last one of them dies. I took the Shogun's throne to drive this country into ruin to complete my vengeance. Years ago, my grandfather committed a crime. I was forced to commit seppuku and our clan fell into ruin. That was one thing. But then the rest of the family left behind was chased and terrorized by strangers who claimed they were performing justice. They beat us. They threw us in the river. They killed us. I was so terrified of the mob of fools that I couldn't sleep. The man who committed the crime was long dead at this point. Apparently, even a child can be a criminal if he happens to have the name Kurozumi. So everyone in Wano is a target for my vengeance. You will reap what you've sown. This was so good, too, because it is so nice to have this as a motivation for someone. Just like he went to all this trouble in order to become the emperor of this land, not because he wants the power, but out of spite. Mm. And that's why he has made this deal with, with Kaido to exploit the lands and stuff. He's getting nothing out of it, but the satisfaction of seeing people suffer. And that's why you want to see Luffy punch him in the fucking face. Yeah. So, and then that's why Cody Rhodes has to face MJF at revolution. (sighs) You can see, I mean, it's been a good storyline. I just don't like MJF. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, you can see like the life die in Nick's eyes when you bring up MJF. Fucking. He's such a great, he's he's such a good promo. He's not. Anyway, Shinobu says that um, after this, you know, he, you know, brought out the tribute for Kaido, hundreds of kidnapped people. They would be sold, tortured or killed once handed over. And Lord Owen was furious. But then Orochi made the suggestion that if you want to stop the kidnapping, then you know, if you go to war against us, you'll lose far more than you bargained for. The agent. So, yeah, with, because Orochi is has nothing to lose because he doesn't care about anyone. It just became clear that more would be lost than just the question of victory or defeat. So Odin accepted Orochi's offer. He made the public dance in the buff every week. He knew he would lose his standing, but he would save 100 lives with each dance. And he promised there. He trusted that. Five years after their promise, he would agree that they would sail away from this country when they were done building their ships. He traveled from region to region every week, making certain that nothing had changed. For all of these years, Lord Odin has been protecting this land. Tell me again, who are you calling a fool of a lord? Awesome chapter. It's great. it, It angers me. It angers me to think that there was even a moment where I was starting to think, I was like, maybe Oda just doesn't have it anymore. Like, maybe the best moments of one piece are kind of behind us and like everything else from here is just kind of fucking wrong fucking wrong he killed it with this chapter it was everything it was everything nick yeah it's insanely good i and it doesn't just have that big moment of odin lifting everyone up out of the oil because then it's like oh this is the big you know heroic sacrifice that the that the you know figures of legend and the flashbacks make but that speech from orochi where he's just like i don't give a fuck about any of this i just want you all to suffer 
so so good it's 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 great and you do kind of feel for him too where you're like i kind of see why you're he's right like they they persecuted you just because of who you were born to so yeah yeah, no i i think there's a lot to really take from this he's right to be angry about this he's right to want something to be done about it but of course the folly is the fact that he chooses and takes pleasure in perpetuating the cycle of vengeance and that's why he's the villain is because he could have not done that and instead he chose to be a dick so uh-huh. so that's it for this week of we mug recap y'all chris mvp favorite series i mean it's not odin. necessarily in that order. it's odin 100 uh odin okay. is character of the week and chapter of the week's probably one piece as well like there's there's some really good ones i think we never learned dr stone uh mashable uh there really were a lot of really good chapters this week but it's it's one piece had just a fucking like a like a mic drop kind of chapter where you're just like fuck Mm. i can't wait for the next one there were a lot of really good chapters this week we never learned was very good dr stone is very good uh but yeah it's one piece my character of the week i'm gonna give to the uh the brother the fake kurose because i it went in a direction that I was not expecting. I think it was really cool. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I get it. So that. that is going to do uh, it for the, that. Au- the audience picked We Never Learned, by the way, as the chapter of the week and Odin as the character of the week. So there you go. You were right, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> How dare I not pick Odin? Um, yeah. All right. Week of Mugger Recap. We broadcast live, generally speaking, Wednesdays around 730 to 8 Eastern time. Uh, here on twitch.tv slash reload uh, If you want to check out more of our show, weeklymugrecap.podbean.com is where all the old episodes are. Leave a like, comment, rating, all that good stuff so that we can rise to the top of the iTunes hobby section. Uh, if you want to ask us questions and stuff like that, suggest manga and all that, you can find all that stuff in the Discord server, which is where you can also see Ninja X3i's uh, Google Docs page where he keeps track of the manga recommendations that we have taken and stuff like that. Uh, special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows us to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Steve Mann, our talk artist, infamous planet for the visual editions uh, of the podcast, as well as just the visual frame that we have and everything. Uh, opening sequence by Mallow Jack Stillitz, Wizardale Shedder. And uh, that's going to do it. Yeah, that's going to do it then. Uh, our next recommendation uh, I kind of panicked and looked around, and nothing, well, because nothing was really feeling right. So I just decided, hey, you know what? Let's. You did Mob Psycho. Why don't we just hit another one that's on the big, big uh, requested recommendations? So the next one is going to be Zatch Bell. Oh boy! All right. So you heard it. There you go. All right. That's it. Uh, Nick, throw us off into that sunset. Yeah. We're so good. We're so good at improv and theater of the mind. We're fucking great. I was trying to think of a sound effect for throwing someone, <laughs> but there isn't really one. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's yeet. You go yeet. I don't do that, though. Yeet and dab with me right now. Yeet. No. We're so cool. Yeet. No, no, I am 30 years old, Chris. 